Johns Hopkins University in Maryland, the United States, a very prominent university, held the conference. And this conference was entitled, What Does It Mean to Be Human? What does it mean to be human? Now think about that for one second, please. What does it mean to be human? At an academic institution, we are still asking that very same question. So are we trying to figure out who we are? Are we still trying to figure out who we are? If so, then uh, what has humanism and the humanities accomplished in all of the years of writing and philosophical jargon and uh, rhetoric on humanism? What has it accomplished if we are still asking the basic question, what does it mean to be human? And uh, can we as humans define that? Because, do you know what that means? That is called self-referencing. How can humans try to determine what it means to be human? That is uh, defining ourselves from within ourselves. Which is not very objective, is it? That would very much be subjective thinking. In Western philosophical thinking, what we are being told is that we do not know what it means to be human. We don't know what it means to be normal. Did you know that? For example... We don't know what it means to be normal in our sexual expression. Rohit and I walk through a park very innocently. Halfway through the park, we realized, uh-oh, we really shouldn't be here. Because the attendants to the park were not of our inclination. And we felt very uncomfortable. In our Western society, we do not know what sexual expression is. Or what it is to, what, what constitutes a home. That has been challenged. It's no longer just Adam and Eve. They tell us it can be anything. We don't even know when life begins. How can we wonder what it means to be human when we are told that we don't know when life begins? As a result, abortion is rampant. Wishing to create the perfect human and to take upon himself the ability to create, we have begun a long road to genetics and the manipulation thereof. We want to create the perfect human. Humans want to create the perfect human. So what does it mean to be human? 
We don't even have a proper blueprint. Our society, our philosophers, our anthropologists, our, our thinkers are not giving us a proper blueprint, yet we are trying to question what it means to be human. And you travel to different parts, to different cultures, and you see in people's eyes eternity. And you see that they have the same concerns, the same desires, the same dreams. And that they try to make life with very, very different means. Let's go to our first point. But first let's ask God to guide us. Lord, would you speak to our hearts? Would you show your word to us? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 2. The writer makes allusion to the scriptures. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou art concerned about him? Would you follow me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 8? That is where he is quoting from. But I want to go back to Psalm chapter 8 because it is where he quotes and it is important that you look at the words that are there. We will finish today's message next week. But may we ask ourselves, what does it mean to be human? A little lower than the angels. That's not what it says really in Psalm chapter 8. I will try to explain to you quickly. In the Hebrew Bible and in the Christian New Testament, the answer to the question, what does it mean to be human, is answered very distinctly. It means that we have been created in the image of God. That is the answer. And they are lost and they are asking the same question and will continue to ask the same question for as long as they seek if they do not recognize the fact that they were not descendants from monkeys, but that they were created in the image of God. And if we start from there, then dignity is brought to mankind. In Psalm chapter 8, as I said, I would like to read to you. Um, there is a, depending what a version of the Bible you are reading, you might find a wee bit of a discrepancy. So we'll just... Um, read for ourselves, see how far we can get, and kind of cut it so we can have communion and continue next week. Oh Lord, our Lord, the psalmist says, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Where does he begin? He begins with God. And the majesty of God. And then he says, Who has displayed the splendor above the heavens? 
For the mouth of infants and nursing babes, thou hast established strength because of thine adversaries to make the enemy of the revenge cease. When I consider thy heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon, the stars which thou hast ordained, he questions, what is man? What is we little bitty man? That you would consider Him. That you would be mindful of Him. And the Son of Man that thou dost care for Him. Yet thou hast made Him a little lower than God. My version says. New American Standard. Perhaps your version says angels. We'll get to that in a second. And thus crown him with glory and majesty. Can you see the crown? Do you feel the crown? He has crowned us with glory and majesty. Because we are Westerners? Because we are white? Middle class? Christians? Thou makest him to rule over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen. Also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes through the paths of the sea. That is man. Psalm 8 verse 5. Yet thou hast made him a little lower than God. Your version probably says angel. There's a reason for that. The the word in the original for angel is malak. Very common word, very repetitive word. You know, Psalm 91, for example, and you will give charge over the angels and and protect him when he uh, jumps from the temple. You've heard those verses. That's the word. It's a simple word that means messenger. That's not the word in verse 5. You might say, I've never heard of the word malag. You're probably right. You're not supposed to. Unless you happen to speak Hebrew. But let me ask you a question. You ever heard of the word Elohim? Kind of have, right? It's somewhere in the back of your mind you're saying, I'm not sure if he was a neighbor of mine, but I have heard that name. That's the word in the original. You have made man a little lower than Elohim. A little lower than God. Because He made us in His own image. Now, why does it say angel? Well, there's a reason. It has all to do with tradition. Number one, the Septuagint, which is the Greek writing of the Old Testament, uh, and other translations. I got a ton here. You would uh, really get bored if I told you about that. Uh, all of them, including the Jewish tradition, translates that word in that passage, angel. Because of Jewish tradition. 
But they didn't change the word, they just changed the translation. And you know how uh, very superstitious the Hebrews are about pronouncing the name of God. In the Judeo-Christian teaching, the dignity of man lies in the fact that we are created in His image. That is why we preserve life. It is because of the dignity that God becomes a man. Because of that dignity, God then becomes a man for the purpose of, and you've read it in Hebrews, in that same passage, that by the grace of God, He, Jesus, tasted death for every man. Because there is dignity in man. Point number two. There is transcendent value in us. A writer, apologist, very well known. If you get a chance, try, look him up on the internet. There's always stuff worth listening to him. I've known of him for many years. His name is Ravi Zachariah. Now Ravi says this, please hear the quote. What it means to be human gives us our essential worth. What it means to be an individual gives you God's prerogative of reflective splendor. Let me quote that back to you. What it means to be human gives us essential worth. What it means to be an individual gives you God's prerogative of reflective splendor. That is, as humans, we have essential value. For God so loved the cosmos that He gave. As individuals, well, this gives you the privilege of being conformed to the image of God with the distinctiveness of fashion. Meaning, there's a plan. A tailor-made plan for you. Because we are individuals, we not only have value, but we have a distinctiveness in which God, having conformed us to His image, then has a plan for our life. Let me illustrate it out of Scripture for one second. Uh, I know you know this passage. It is quoted many times. It is found in the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That ought to tell us the importance of it. Though I think we always seem to emphasize the wrong aspect of it. The passage is like this. The Pharisees and the Herodians sort of uh, come together to plot against Jesus by confusing Him, or thinking they could, by asking certain questions. One of the questions was this. Ought we to pay taxes to Caesar? That bring a thought to your mind? No, I don't mean about 
not paying taxes. I mean, I, I mean about the passage. Will you stay with me? Stay, stay with me. The passage. I know you're thinking, oh, don't bring that up, please. Do we pay taxes to Caesar? Remember Jesus' answer? He said to them, do you have a coin? And then he asked them, whose image is on that coin? And we all remember the answer. Caesar's. To which Jesus then answered them, Oh, you do know the passage. Oh, I thought you were going to say, he said, don't have to pay taxes. Now, mind you, if he would have said that, we'd be happier. And though that, the question was answered, you, you know Christ enough to know that he knows what's behind the questions. And though he answered the question, he knew that wasn't the problem. And the issue wasn't taxes. The issue was, will we get him in trouble with Rome? Will we get him in trouble with the people? And what is valuable? So what was Jesus' response? Well then, if it is Caesar's image on that coin, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. What was the second part of that? Then render, and, and to God, the things that are God's. And most preachers say, see, you have to tithe. It has nothing to do with it. Did you know that? Because that second part has got nothing to do with money. Nothing. Let me try to explain. If the question had been legit, if the person asking the question really wanted to know value, he then would have said, if I am to give to Caesar what it is Caesar's, because the coin belongs to Caesar, then what belongs to God? Because Jesus said, and to God, the things that are God's. The right response or question then should have been, the rhetorical question should have been, well, what's God's? We were talking about an image, right? At which point, the question or the statement from Jesus could have easily have been, whose image is on you? If you give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and you give to God what is God's, then whose image is on you will depend who you belong to. Dignity. Splendor. Third point. We will not finish this one. We will continue this next week. Then there is divine destiny. Divine destiny. You see, your worth, dignity, and your splendor, value, 
means you're going somewhere. There is a purpose, there is a plan, there is a road map. Who is in charge of your destiny? Whose image is on you? Who is in charge of your destiny? Because destiny matters. It's not just about getting there. It's how we get there. How we conduct ourselves, represent ourselves. How we show forth His image on our way there. Destiny matters. It was well over 2,500 miles, the distance. 2,500 miles. Endless victories and probably many more defeats. That brought me to a crossroad on May 7, 1990. That was destiny. The day that I heard the gospel and responded to it. Lots of miles, lots of events, all pushing to bring me to one point. Was that the end? What about today? I've still been on that journey. Because destiny matters, then there is today. Today, this Sunday. Well, to summarize it, what has brought us to today is three continents, innumerable people, half a dozen new churches, more victories, more defeats, to be here on this given day. Or are you here by chance? Do you really think you're just chance? Divine destiny. Let us conclude so we can go to communion. It isn't, it's not just the end game. It's not just about finding my way in heaven. It's all about how I walk that pilgrimage. The road to destiny matters. Whose image is on you? We're talking about people. Um, There are tricks to every trade. So while we were in Cuba, while we were in Havana, I've taught my guys whenever we go down there, who always want at least one clean bathroom with running water. Whenever we're in Havana, we'll go to the hotels. The five-star hotels have very nice bathrooms and actually you hit the sink and water comes out and you can even pull the handle and, you know, the, the, the thingamajiggy, you know, does the thing, you know. 
which uh, that's not our hotel. Our hotel was uh, very little water and, and buckets. And uh, uh, by the way, they had a different heater. It was actually warm and more than just a trickle came out. So we're advancing there, Paul. You missed it. While we were there, we noticed people. Very well-dressed people with very expensive cameras. I am sure never lacking for a bit of food. Totally unaware of what happens just a few miles away from the capital city. Where life's a little different, a little more complicated. See, the road to destiny matters. And you can travel your road simply ignoring the masses. Concerned only about yourself. Engulfed in the fact that you are somebody. Ignoring the fact that there are others. Right here. Folks, right here. Not even asking you about the third world or the starving children in Africa. I'm talking your neighbors. Of your kind. Of your economic strata. Of your social likes. I'm not even asking you to leave your comfortable world. How are you traveling on the path? Are you following your road? Or are you following his roadmap? Are you a Christian by tradition or by his divine destiny? Is it denominational or distinctional? So I ask you, as we prepare for communion, whose image is on you? What is your true value? What makes you who you are? Whose image is on you? I'm going to ask... uh, Jack, if you would come and help me. and um, Alan, would you help me too? We're going to distribute the elements. While they come up, I'm just going to ask you to pause in your heart and in your mind and ask yourself, talk to God, with that one question. Whose image is on you? <laughs>